Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Problematic. As usual, I've really made you wait for it. Um, and I hope this one will have been worth the wait. I'm going to play my conversation with Isabella Malbin. Um, she is the creator of Whose Body Is It? which is a podcast and a business. And she is very, very outspoken against gender and trans ideology. Um, and she is actually someone who I have watched uh, boldly speak and it has been very inspiring. She's been one of the many people that I've seen boldly speaking about what she believes um, and believed that that was possible for me and for all of us. Um, her story is very interesting and uh, we have a good amount of overlap in our experiences. Um, and yeah, I think you're gonna, it's, it's a long one. I, I think you're gonna enjoy um, hearing her story and I hope you go check out her work as well. Uh, one more thing that you may have noticed is that I've pretty much completely given up on all um, all business stuff, all um, like music for my podcast, producing, everything is just too much work. <laughs> and so for the time being, I'm just abandoning it all. So I hope that you, um, hope you stick with me even though I'm not going to play any little ditty to get you ready for this podcast episode. I'm just gonna launch right into it and forget about all the fluff. Um, yeah, I will be back with another episode one day, but I can't tell you when because everything's falling apart. Oh, did I tell you that I I just, <laughs> I went on vacation, it was like nine days and I got COVID on day two and I was just absolutely sick and in bed the entire time and I can't smell anything, and you can probably hear it in my voice. It's, you know, I'm fine now, but it's just, it was, it was really annoying timing, I'm gonna tell you that. Really annoying timing. Okay, um, please enjoy this conversation with Isabella, and you can find her through the links in the show notes. And um, I'm just here ripping up uh, some, some mint leaves that I'm trying to smell and cannot smell. I'm just, I'm not going to give up though. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Isabella. My name is Isabella Malbin. I am the host of the Whose Body Is It podcast. I also um, host master classes on topics, some of the wrong thinking topics, um, mostly focused now on exposing um, industries, ideologies, and technologies that target women, uh, more specifically women's reproductive um, organs, our health, our well-being, and that also extending uh, to the well-being of our babies and our children. So um, my, my background um, kind of professionally started with uh, me becoming a, a birth and postpartum doula mm. in New York City. Um, in 2016. Prior to that, I was like a, I was an art girl. I, I went to RISD. I was like a, a painter and a conceptual artist and, you know, thought I was going to go get an MFA and become a 
art professor and I was just always the art girl um, on the art track. And so um, I had a big shift in my like mid twenties of just, yeah, wanting, wanting something else, wanting to do something different, getting kind of disillusioned um, with the, what I felt was like the vacancy of um, the art world and being an artist in New York alone in my studio all day long. And um, so I'd always gravitated towards children, uh, taking care of children. I was always, you know, nannying um, to support my other endeavors. And um, yeah, I heard about this thing called a postpartum doula. And I heard that you could be a postpartum doula. You could make, you know, 50, $60 an hour taking yeah. care of babies. And I was like, sign me up. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. That sounds, that sounds awesome. I had also um, like many doulas uh, who get in, like many young women who get into birth work. Um, I watched a documentary called the business of being born. Oh yeah. And that really uh, opened my eyes to, yeah, the violence uh, in, in industrial birth. Um, and then I I'd also had my own health experiences, you know, um, being put on hormonal birth control in my, in my early twenties and getting all three doses of the HPV vaccine mm. when I was, um, 15, 16 years yeah. old, um, kind of like the Guinea pig year of, of that, that first rollout. And, um, I'd had, you know, gastrointestinal, I'd had just a slew of women's health problems, eating disorders, all, all the things. And I, I had already felt like, wow, there's not really much um, this this kind of allopathic medical system has to offer. And actually, I feel like it's not only is it not helping me, but it's actually, I think, causing damage. Um, any depressants, just the whole slew, just the run of the mill, yeah. millennial woman uh, health concerns. I feel um, you. I had my own version of that. And uh, it was like the slow awakening to none of this is helping me. All of this is hurting me. And having that, like, my thing was I... I actually went into, I don't know when your kind of conversion was, we're going to, we're going to learn, but um, I went into 2020, a secret anti-vaxxer, but super liberal. So that was like my door into wait, 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 Mm -hmm. something is so wrong. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it all just unraveled from there, but yeah, I had a, and I lived in New York too, for a really long time. So, and I was in, I actually went to school for musical theater. So I was, an art uh, artist trying to be a super commercial artist, but I was also nannying. So there's a lot of overlap in, in our stories too, which is, Oh my gosh. I wonder if we were at the same parks with, with our, our I know, I know. When were you nannying? Like what were the years? Oh my gosh. When was I not nannying? Um, probably let's say a lot, I would say starting like 2013 to like 2019 yeah I was 2010 to 2013 so maybe 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 just a couple months (laughs) (laughs) of that that important work exhausting sometimes lonely I know lonely work I know yeah yeah so oh that's interesting so you were okay so 2020 you were a secret anti-vaxxer yeah so I so it was like just the whole house came tr- like tumbling down, but just one, one, one card at a time, one brick at a time. Um, but it's, it's for me, it started with like industrial birth. Like I was like, oh shit, this is like, this is like violent. Like women are being lied to. 
women are, are being um, like lambs, put, you know, treated as like lambs into the slaughterhouse, like just one by one, just sending them in and coming out, you know, damage, you know, on the other side, just real, really like brutal stuff. And I was also serving like a, like a, a wealthy population, like upper middle class, mostly heterosexual couples. Why, you know, like there was, you know, I was also doing other work that was even scarier, which was like actually um, like underserved women, you know, coming from low income homes and, you know, but just across the board, it didn't matter. So this is when you were, when you were a doula, you started seeing this. Is that, this is, yeah, this is when I was a doula. So I had done this postpartum doula training um, thinking I was just going to be a postpartum doula. And I ended up loving the births more. Um, I see. Also in that training, uh, I, that's when I was indoctrinated in the trans into trans ideology. So that was the first time I had come into like explicit content contact with this ideological framework. Um, and in that training, so it's 2016, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm like so eager to like fight the birth industry. And I've watched the business of being born and I'm like, let's, let's help women. Let's help children like inform choice, you know, rah, rah, rah. And then, you know, before we even get to the birth component, you know, what is the hormonal cascade of birth? What is the C-section? Um, what are optimal breastfeeding practices? You know, just like before any of that, it was like, by the way, we don't use the words woman and mother. We don't say breastfeeding uh, here at Doula Trainings International. We are a Whoa. modern, modern training group. And we, you know, we say birthing person, birthing people, birthers, menstruators, the whole thing. Wow. And yeah. And yeah. so that, so that's, is that like, I don't know how the doula training works. Is that like, um, you just said doula training is international. Is that just a one business or a certification program, or is that pretty widespread? Like that's so- the way they at the time they were not like the gold standard there was one major one called uh dona which was like a very established kind of national doula training organization now anybody could make a certification you and i could start a certification program called the caroline and isabella doula certification program we could hand out certificates like next week if we wanted to like there's no legitimacy Mm. to any of the certifications um it's not like a license um and so this training program was i chose it because they they really advertised themselves they marketed themselves as a modern like very contemporary you know shiny photos um cool girl cool vibe you know right um, good marketing goes a long way exactly <laughs> very very good market and it was it was significantly more expensive than like the standard you know the the dona dona international um not international was it dona yeah I think they're also there I think they're international as well anyway so yeah I I was like I'm gonna do this one and um isn't it funny how like the it being more expensive is almost like part of the marketing of like oh well it must be so much better yeah oh 100 (laughs) percent yeah it didn't didn't take much it didn't really did not take much I I mean I spoke to a dual I, I spoke to a woman that had gone through the training and um I wonder if she said they were more inclusive at the time, like if that played any part into my decision-making. Right. Um, but it was like implicit, you know, it's like, nobody wants to be like, womp, womp. you know, no one wants to be like behind or right. like, do the training that's just like antiquated, God forbid anyone, you know, who teaches you is over the age of 40, like, <sighs> 
you know, it's just, it's just so backwards. Um, what, one thing I want to say about that training is that, um, they had mentioned a, a very hateful letter that had been circulating in the birth world. And like, I am not in the birth world yet. Like I right. am, you're a just entering. Yeah. I'm a babysitter. I'm a painter. I'm like lost. I'm like, Oh, what the hell I'm doing? Hopefully I'm going to make some money doing this thing. Like, right. let's, let's go, you know? Um, and these experts supposedly are telling me that there's this hateful letter circulating um, the midwifery world and the doula world, which, you know, are adjacent, are sure. adjacent overlapping spaces. Um, uh, basically, yeah, she, I mean, they basically said there were all these like elder midwives that had signed this hateful letter protesting um, inclusive language. Mm. And I just kind of was like, oh, that's terrible. You know, I wonder... <laughs> It's like, you know, I had some kind of ageist reply or whatever. Um, uh, what's funny about that letter is that that was written, um, that was authored by uh, my now mentor and, and close friend named Mary Lou Singleton, wow. who is a, an experienced uh, uh, three decades of experience, well, maybe four decades, no, three decades of experience as a midwife. She's a nurse practitioner. She's a medical freedom activist, lifelong women's activist you know just like my hero and like Mm -hmm. I was introduced to to her as this like evil bigot lady who had like wrote this letter and gotten all these other ladies to sign this but that letter is really important in terms of like um, historical markers for you know women speaking out and protesting um, this so-called inclusive language which is really just the erasure of um, of women and mother in language and and now in the law Um, so yeah, so it was there were you know it was like still up and coming all this you know birthing person stuff. It was it was still kind of like on the up and up. That that letter was authored um, in 2015, 2014 or two thousand fifteen, and my training was two thousand sixteen. Gotcha. So it was still relatively fresh, and you know like I think it was two thousand fourteen that you know Bruce Jenner you know came out as a woman and right. You know it was still it was still. Um, it was on yeah, the periphery. It, it wasn't, yeah. yeah, it was, it was there, but it wasn't like everywhere like it is it, now. Yeah. It wasn't like the hot topic of the day, you know, trans kids, trans, you know, now everybody knows about this controversy. Everybody know, everyone's heard of a trans kid now, you know, it's right. like in all areas, you could be in a rural part of Texas, or you could be in Portland, Oregon and, and people are, people are talking about it. So yeah, it was, it was, you know, this was like seven, seven years ago eight years ago now no seven years ago yeah um so yeah so in terms of like the the peaking of my like waking up you know the trans stuff didn't come until later I I was really focused on um trying to improve birth outcomes and I and I I tried to do that you know remaining uh, a doula in the system for three or four years. And I eventually stopped participating altogether in, in hospital births in birthing center births. I even stopped going to, to births with licensed midwives. I was just so disheartened by what I saw, um, like regulation and licensure, um, uh, had the way it affected, um, the, the care women get in their pregnancies, birth and postpartum. And so, um, what were some like? What were the some of the things that you were running into that was just disheartening to be a part of or to keep seeing? Um, 
psychological manipulation, like legal, or what I would call like legal rape um, with medical tools, um, non-evidence-based practices, routine vaginal exams, mm. um, episiotomies uh, mm. without consent. You know, yeah. I was, I was very much like into the consent, like thinking that, that like you could offer consent in that system. Um, uh, and you know, unnecessary C-sections, um, women being told it wasn't safe to hold their babies, um, that the babies needed to be under artificial lighting. And that, right. that was really what was bad. Just a lot of gaslighting. Um, you know, your baby's not okay. And the mother would say, well, my baby is okay. You know, just, just all sorts of um, uh, techniques to reduce liability on the part of the hospital and the mm. doctors. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, and in each kind of um, medical practitioner had, it was on a spectrum of like how explicit they were in their um, manipulation. But I mean, there were plenty of doctors right. who were like, yeah, I needed you to have this baby so I could catch a flight tomorrow. Right. You know, just like, just blatant, right. blatancy. I would, I would come home from hospital births and just like cry and just be like, I uh, feel like I was just an opposite world, like where mothers don't know anything. Women are property of the state where, um, you know, every birth is a near emergency uh, yeah. where uh, a woman needs to ask permission to go to the bathroom or to eat or to drink. I mean, it's, it's the crazy. surveillance was just the surveillance was out of the surveillance on the mother, the surveillance on the baby, the surveillance on me, the surveillance on the part. I mean, it's a constant right. state of surveillance. And um, I would say like, just from the outside, like fear, like the fear and mistrust of the process, like this fear. And you said this earlier, I think, but that like everything feels like a crisis, like at any moment, everything mm-hmm. could go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. If you don't listen mm-hmm. or if you're not doing exactly what they say. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm not a mother. um, And honestly, my sister-in-law is going to have the first like baby in that generation. So I was, I was a babysitter for a long time, but I don't have experience in this world, but just on principle, I agree with you. Like just knowing what I know about the medical, Mm -hmm. (laughs) about, you know, about how it all works and how everything is so medicalized to our detriment in every other area of medicine. It's so clear to me that, that it would be happening with birth as well. Yeah, it's just the, 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 like the levels, the layers of misogyny, like, you know, especially like woman on woman violence committed in that system is just one of the more like heartbreaking points, um, you know, and, we can talk more about, you know, that with the, with the trans stuff, but, um, the way that it's enacted, you know, and perpetuated, you know, with all of the mostly female staff, um, you know, the nurses are the ones who are in the room with, with the mother while she's in labor, you know, the the doctors just come in at the very last minute. And, um, it's just this like system of, um, like submission it's just it's just like it's it's sadistic it's truly truly sadistic um so interesting and, i mean i had experiences you know so i was really i, I taught hypnobirthing which is a, a method of childbirth education that emphasizes like a physiologic approach to birth um it's a more of a reformist method like i don't i don't teach it anymore 
Um, I'm like a more like radicalized now, but it, it, I definitely saw how it improved outcomes like within that of like abusive birthing system. And I would have nurses come to me and I mean, just remark, like it was as if they'd never seen birth before because my, you know, when I was teaching the method, most of my clients would, you know, not get the things. I wouldn't say they had natural births because I don't know how natural you can be in, in a in a sterile surveyed environment with mm-hmm. monitors beeping every every. It doesn't. It's not very natural. But you know, they didn't get the epidural. They didn't get the pitocin. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them would even refuse and having to even sign, you know, against medical advice forms, uh, refusing the the saline drips, which they right. they tell you oh, it's just for hydration, but they don't tell you there are phthalates in there. Uh, you know right um I would be so afraid I trust so little I'd be afraid that they were doing things that uh, that they just never told me you know yeah they probably would I mean they can yeah. legally yeah. they absolutely can and Ugh. you know the the clients that managed to get by with refusing which is a huge feat by the way I mean even to have a vaginal birth in a in a hospital these days it's, it's a feat it's a huge it's a massive feat and I've often thought like if I were in that situation I might I actually might want to be totally numb and check yeah. out because I would be so disturbed at like, you know, being anyway. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I had nurses come to me many times to say like, just fascinated by what was occurring, which was literally a woman like trying to retain her agency in the birth process. Right. Like, oh my gosh, she like stood up and, you know, I've never seen a woman um, give birth on her hands and knees before. They would say, I can't believe how calm she is. No, you must be lying to me. That can't possibly be her first baby. Oh you know, just the, you know, these people had never seen birth. They'd okay. never, and they still haven't seen birth unless they've seen a, like a woman outside of the system. Like, the, I'm sorry, they've never, you've never, you've never seen an uninterrupted, like as close to like a, you know, a primal, experience that we are all designed to do um so yeah it was it was disheartening um so yeah that was some to answer that was those some of the um that was some of the the stuff that that i encountered i mean so i mean i feel like doctors would just make things up they would be like you know we have to cut the cord immediately it could kill the baby like just like fucking crazy lies and i'm like literally where is that even coming from so um, yeah, I mean, I think most doulas understand that the practices that go on there are not evidence-based, but there's like a, like, I think there's a trauma bond to the system. And I know right. a lot of doulas who ended up starting like agencies and, um, just funneling more eager, young, sincere women, you know, to go to these like traumatic births and and be absolutely useless you know and to accept money for being useless well so this is going to be such a basic question but i i don't actually know the role of a doula compared to a midwife um because i've never been through the process so i'm I'm, just in case there are people listening who know just as little as me can you explain that difference yeah so this is where it even gets kind of political because it's like yeah the definition kind of speaks to the like ineffectiveness I don't want to say just like the yeah maybe the arbitrary nature of, of this role but but if you ask a doula, they'll say a doula is there for emotional uh, support, educational support. They're there to inform, you know, 
the birthing mother of her her rights and um like an advocate kind of an advocate and she's supplemental like she's supplemental to the midwife supplemental to the um to the obstetrician uh so yeah doulas will always emphasize that you know that they have absolutely no medical training nor would they ever you know touch a woman inappropriately or you know um offer medical advice or god forbid you know tell them not to vax their kids which i totally did all the time um (laughs) or warn them about their rapey you know right ob you know it was it was you know they're very like the it's a very like reformist attitude like whatever her experience is is her experience and you know you know you're there to just support and offer non-judgmental uh you know feedback and yeah so it didn't I didn't last long in that because I just I felt like I couldn't be neutral nor should should do I think any any person should be neutral while while witnessing that kind of um right abuse but I I, but it just speaks to like how desensitized I think we've you know most of us have have become um through our own health journeys through what we consume in the media you know the the normalization of IUDs hormonal birth control um all of these invasive procedures, you know, we're just like, we think we can't possibly survive without these things that are so new and so invasive. Yeah. Yeah. And that, 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 these are the things that are actually like the gateway to our liberation. Like, thank God women have fentanyl, you know, thank God babies are born on fentanyl. We are just like fantastic. Right you know, it's, it's pretty, yeah. So it was industrial birth. And then, um, I started, I started teaching, I started to get very interested in like menstrual health. And I thought, okay, these, these adult women are struggling to connect with their bodies. They don't know where their cervix is. They've all been on the pill for many years. No one is cycle tracking. Like, let me, let me go like back. Let me like, try to make this better like let me go to the girlhood let me go to like the adolescence let me go to the um you know the the part of our reproductive life before we get pregnant right right start earlier in the process yeah like maybe that's the answer like maybe that's where I'll be like I can also be you know effective and um you know make make things better for women and girls and so I yeah I started teaching reproductive health education I started um doing workshops and one-on-ones and um, just teaching women about their, their bodies, like basic body literacy, and then also informing them about the the risks of hormonal birth control, um, teaching natural family planning, also called fertility awareness methods. Mm -hmm. um, And really loved that work. Oh my gosh. Cause then I could, you know, I thought I could be with my peers and I felt like my, my clients were at the time I'd have, you know, 10, 15 year age gaps with my clients. Um, Right they were older. So it was cool to be with my peers. And then I just, the more I learned about, the more I learned about synthetic hormones, the harder it was to not apply that critical thinking in other realms. Like, yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is the thing that I feel like nobody talks about. I, yeah, please continue. (laughs) Yeah. It was, and I, I wish I could tell you like the moment that I peaked when it, with the trans stuff, but it really was like a slow, it was like a lot of drops in the bucket. Right. Um, but I think having that critical lens and that like 
fearlessness to say like this is this birth like the way this woman is being treated the way she's being lied to the way her body is being touched manipulated mutilated like is not okay and so once I could say it there um I think it was easier to say you know with the pill it was easy and then again easier to, to apply to the more overtly but barbaric practices of you know double mastectomy and um hysterectomy and right uh, phalloplasty and all the other things that that women um, who have bought into been been lied to and been indoctrinated into the trans ideology um, find themselves in. So um, the vaccine stuff came in through the birth stuff. You know, I think just working with moms and babies. You know, I just mm-hmm. started to hear talk of things, and I knew I knew that there were moms who didn't follow the CDC schedule and they did what's called the European schedule or the delayed vac schedule. And, mm-hmm. um, I had heard about these moms and, uh, I had a boyfriend at the time in 2018 who, uh, was working for Russia today. And it was very controversial because I was like a hardcore lib femme still, and was kind of frightened actually, um, by some of his politics. Um, I even tried to break up with him once. Cause I was like, Cause he, I remember him saying like, he thought like kids shouldn't watch like drag shows cause it could like influence their sexuality. And I just thought that is insane. Right. I just thought you are crazy regressive. Like I might need to dump you. Like I was like, right. I honestly remember being like kind of afraid of him. Like he might like, like he might hate women or something. Like I, I like took it to that. Right. Cause that's extreme. what we're told. That's like the extreme brainwashing. That's what I believed. Mm-hmm. I was like everyone who's even, even sympathetic to conservative values are secretly like so regressive, hate women, uh, you know, run the get racist, everything, everything that I was eventually accused of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It scared me. It really scared me. And so I remember. So wait, we- what, sorry, what's Russia today? Is that a newspaper? Russia today is depending on who you ask. If you ask a, like a liberal progressive leftist, they'll say um, it's a, you know, the Kremlin media, like Russian government propaganda. Um, oh, but it's a, it's a news source. It's um, and they do. I mean, crit- I mean, they're definitely worthy of criticism. However, they have done a, an excellent job at covering the like the scope of um the trans issue and um Mm. we were no longer in contact and we broke up years ago but in 2020 i was contacted by russia today and i I did an interview with them uh to documenting my story about you know having been indoctrinated in the doula world and having been ostracized and having you know i erased the words woman and mother from my marketing language for three years and right. you know just having gone along with it and a bit of my stories it was kind of full circle but yeah he he and i got into it was 2018 we got into a fight about how we would raise our hypothetical trans kid oh wow <laughs> and i was like affirm affirm and his response was like very moderate like his response was like well i would want them to wait until they were 18 you know, like that's not even like right. You know, right. Like, even like how I am now. It was like incredibly moderate response. Right. Um, yeah. So that was 2018. I yeah, I'd already. I think I had peaked with vaccines around that time. But it was just like the whole house was crumbling, and right. I would I would try to talk to friends about. I remember getting pushed. Oh, you'll love this one. Okay, so I was in a bar with a friend, and she got like kind of tanked up. This was in 
late this was like late early sometime in 2019 and she'd like gotten kind of tanked up on alcohol and and she said to me you know you, you know you know you know that fertility awareness stuff you teach you know christians do that <laughs> <laughs> oh the horror and i was like yeah um the catholic <laughs> church is actually responsible for like all the scientific evidence for the like the effectiveness of you know the billings method the fertility awareness space like methods you know like yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> it's so, I mean, yeah, the, just all of everything was just so dangerous and horrible. I have done the craziest 180 in my worldview. That, and I still am like, have I lost, have I lost my mind? Is there any chance? And I just know I haven't, but, <laughs> but it's just so stark. And I remember what it felt like to believe what you know, all the hardcore liberals believe that's the weirdest part. I remember what that mm-hmm. felt like. Um, well, don't you feel like it gives you a leg up now? And like, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, I used to believe everything. that. <laughs> I really get it. It's like, it's yeah. so much easier for me to be in dialogue. I feel like I can peak people a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. It is true. Because of that. It is a gift to be like, yeah, this is my story. This is what I believe. This is what I did. Um, it's definitely more inviting. Like it's, it's easier. I think to reach a wider audience being like, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is, yeah, I, I agreed with you. I fully agreed with you. And now I don't. Yeah. And that we can work together, you know, like I, I am pretty public about my, my, like, you know, I, I believe women should ha- have access to abortion, legal and safe abortion. However, my, my, my view on abortion is a lot more nuanced than that. And I mm-hmm. work with women who are like, totally against abortion rights and you know want to criminalize abortion and you know it's okay like we can disagree right and work together on a common cause and you know i that was also another wrong thinking thing that i did was to criticize planned parenthood um right and that was like part of that that, (laughs) the holy grail of liberal feminism planned parenthood so yeah it is it's it's i have a lot more empathy and i I've worked with, you know, women, I've served women in their births of all religious denominations. Um, and that is a humbling, you know, it's a humbling experience to, to have an idea of, of who you think a person is and what their values are and what they're capable of. And, you know, and then to be in such a vulnerable space and an intimate space and to cultivate those relationships. Um, yeah. it's, it's incredibly humbling. So uh, yeah, it's, I think it's such a, advantage to yeah have been on the other side and then to also work so intimately with with families and and women and because there could be so much I mean there is at the heart of it like even on the two extreme extreme ends of politics the desire is still to protect like there's this belief on both extreme ends that we are protecting children you know that's the craziest part yes that is the craziest part and of course, they're wildly different mm-hmm. beliefs on what protecting children looks like. Mm-hmm. But if there could just be the acknowledgement that we both genuinely have an idea of what protecting innocence and, and um, you know, ch- children's like spirit is. So yeah. it's so, but, and then that gets, to, I, I kind of spiral into being like depressed over like, we're never going to come together and nothing's ever going to, like, I get kind of like doomsday about like, oh my gosh, mm. we're just getting so much further apart. But, um, but whenever I remember that, 
I just, I just wish that that was something that we all like saw a little bit more, you know, on both sides. Oh, yeah, it is. It really feels like a, like, um, like a parallel universe of like bio, like a biophilic world versus like a transhumanist world. Like, are we yes. making decisions that, you know, enhance the natural design? Do we think there's value in the natural design? Cause I, I like talking to people that are like, you know, that, that really think their body is like the enemy and they fear their natural environment. And I'm like, a, I have this too. Like I grew up in a New York city apartment. Like I have certain neuroses that were like made possible by like the sterility of my upbringing, mm. you know? So like I have my own fear of bugs and you know things, right. like, debilitating, but like, it doesn't, you know, it, I'm not, I'm not like a camper, you know, like I'm right. still I get recovering yes. from, yes. from that experience. So like, I'm not immune um, from what I'm describing. And I, and I don't think anyone is super like uh, most people are not super in one and the other. Um, I mean, we're on a virtual call right now, recording a podcast right. for our, like, virtual lives. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it is, it is, it can feel disheartening and, um, and it is a, a real value, like paradigm, like shift of like, what is the kind of world you want to live in? What do you, you know, what do you think the world should be? Should be. I know. Idealistic. I want to hear, I mean, we've alluded to it, but I want to hear like what, I know it all kind of like slowly, slowly happened. And it was because you were seeing what you were seeing, but I'm curious about when you changed your mind about all the trans language and the, and the spreading views and kind of like ideological capture, I would say mm. um, that was in the doula world and then sort of spread um, what were kind of the more specific things that you were realizing? And then what was the, I mean, if, if, if applicable, what was kind of like the fallout for you or like the backlash or some stuff mm-hmm. that you come came up against as you were sort of unpacking all of that? I think once I learned about the synthetic hormones being a part of this whole trans thing, because before then it was just inclusivity. It was all, you know, I was just like making people feel good. Um, right. Like you can identify, you can identify however you want. Like you don't have yeah. to call yourself a woman, even if you secretly are a woman. Yeah. And yeah. it was like a righteousness thing. Like I had a righteousness about being a doula, about getting invited into like the most intimate experience of a person's, a woman's life. I had a righteousness about feeling like I was on the precipice of some like information that others didn't have. Like I remember just gaslighting my male cousin and being like, men can give birth. And he's like, what? And I'm like, right. not all people who identify, you know, blah, 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 you know, whatever, right. you know, garbage that I was like regurgitating. And um, like, kind of like just feeling like powerful being like, I, I am the most progressive. I am the youngest. I am the coolest. Right. I am the most progressive. Right. This is the work that I'm doing. Like, take that banker, you know, whatever. <laughs> I know. Um, it was crazy. It was so crazy. No, I mean, I was doing all, all the same things and yeah, no, I just understand very well. I just, just makes me laugh thinking back. Yes. And my, oh gosh, my poor mom, like I remember watching bowling for Columbine when I was like, 
11 or 12 or something and like at a friend's house like I definitely wasn't allowed to like wasn't supposed to be watching it and I came home and I had a hysterical fit and like my mom is from Texas like obviously our family has guns because they're like you know whatever and I just remember being like like just devastated like like I can't like humiliated embarrassed like how could our family have guns how could you ever touch a gun how could you even say the word gun like you know guns are evil just all the same kind of hysterical like outbursts of you know adolescence you know early adolescence and continuing into adulthood as you described yeah I know yeah so interesting and I would throw a fit when my parents were and my mom was like my mom was actually the the anti-vaxxer in our family not early enough Mm. I have to say I was fully fully vaccinated and I have the chronic health issues to show for Mm -hmm. it but um she like she went through Hodgkin's lymphoma and she had two experiences one was that she saw all over the oncology department that you were not allowed to enter if you had been vaccinated within the last two weeks because you shed. Wow. And she was like, what? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you mean? Mm. I thought that like it, in her head, she was like, so you can spread it if you like, it was just like one little thing in her head. And then her oncologist who was like, Mr. Pharma asked her if she'd ever had measles Mm. And she said, no, I've had, um, I had the measles vaccine when I was young. And he said, oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, he said, I was part of a clinical trial where we were trying to see if measles or what we found was that actually measles is protective against Epstein-Barr and Epstein-Barr is what can turn into Hodgkin's lymphoma. So people, and he said to her, which is shocking that he said it, but he said, if you look at the trial, it'll say that the measles vaccine is protective against Epstein-Barr and Hodgkin's, but it it was actually measles itself and not the The actual virus, not the attenuated. Yes. Yeah. And so no one looking at that would know, but he was involved and he was like, well, that's what we saw. But then, you know, they, whatever, I'm surprised that he said that to her, Mm. but he did because, because she had the measles vaccine and it didn't work, but measles would have been protective. Right. And she just like, it was those two things like boom, boom, that she was like, what? And she started doing research and, you know, everyone thinks she's insane because she is really hardcore about it. (laughs) It's like, oh, mom's talking about vaccines again. Oh my gosh. I need um, to, I would love your mom. And you would, you really would. And she, her, her flaw is that she doesn't have like tact with it. Like she's just like, she's like a bull in a China shop telling everyone the vaccines are the reason that everything is happening. And she's probably right. Like 70% of the time, but, um, but that was, you know, that was kind of like, you know, I agreed with her. She was Mm -hmm. telling me what she was learning. She was getting super involved with like a, um, you know, medical freedom advocacy group in our state, in our Mm -hmm. area. Um, I was living in New York at the time but I was super holistic too. And I, you know, I was, I agreed with her on the vaccine thing. Mm. Um, but I was becoming super liberal in every other way. But to me, I was very, you know, the weirdest like, thing this is a medical issue. This is like well, a medical yes, thing. Because you know? the craziest thing is that liberals used to be the way we are now. Mm-hmm. They used to be very you know, they used to be suspicious of all big business, big pharma, 
you know, big government, all this stuff. And so to me, it was a very consistent, I mean, I actually have a very consistent opinion on all medical stuff that I always had, Mm. but I knew that my vaccine stance was like taboo. It just wasn't quite as taboo as it is right now. Like everything got Mm -hmm. so much more polarized since 2020, but I knew like I, so I started writing about intuitive eating in 2012 because I was healing my own um, eating disorder essentially. And I was doing this research and I was sort of like my, I kind of accidentally became like an intuitive eating influencer of sorts and writer, which then turned into the book deal. Mm-hmm. a book deal. And so I was building my audience on this platform um that because it overlapped with the body positive circles which overlaps with the social justice like woke circles I was in there. Like I was I was like almost like an influencer/author/writer who was connected to that whole world and it what like I talked more about our relationship with food than I did about any of the other stuff, but it was in there. It's in like, if Mm -hmm. you read my, both of my books, I very much had my little woke worldview, you know, Mm. because I thought it was the kindest, most loving, most healing way to be. And you knew, and you knew, I think on some level, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I imagine that on some level you knew unconsciously that if you didn't have those plugs, that you would be Yes. They would be, uh, yes. they'd be sniffing around. Oh yeah, for sure. But I, I convinced, like, I believed it enough. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I thought yeah. people were extreme. Like I was like, all right, that's a little extreme, but you just be whoever you want to be. It's okay. You can be extreme over there. And I, you know, I wanted, I wanted the fuck a diet is, is my first book. I wanted it to be able to speak to more people. So it was almost like I was bringing mm-hmm. wokeism to the, like, to the middle. <laughs> like I was yes. like, I was speaking in a relatively <laughs> measured way, which I'm so glad. Like I'm so glad right now. Um, like I was just kind of, you know, making You're it like eat intuitively and trans women are women. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. It was like, oh, you know, it was all about it was a lot about like fat, um, fat acceptance. Cause that is the, you know, I think that some of that is right. And some of that is too extreme. Like I do believe there's body diversity. I do believe Mm -hmm. that it is unhealthy to make your body smaller than it naturally wants to be. And I think that happens all the time in our culture, but then what's the, what's the extreme that that goes to in like woke world Mm -hmm. is, you know, what it, Mm -hmm. what it goes to. But I knew that I had to tiptoe around that is what I knew. I was like, there's truth here. And there's also people being really extreme, but they also do have eating disorders that they're trying to like, it was nuanced to me, you know? So I, I was actually really good at kind of like navigating that with my language. Um, but this is a long story about myself, but my whole point really was that I, I was still super liberal in most of my beliefs. And I would literally throw fits when I would be around my parents and they were watching Fox news. Like I would be like, I don't want to be in this house watching Tucker Carlson. Like I was like a little baby. Like I refused to entertain it. I was like literally throwing a tantrum. It was crazy. (laughs) I feel like it's, yeah, I've thought a lot about this. Like it's a trigger response. Like it it is so, but it's like, it is so weird to hear. It's very familiar to hear your story. And I've, I've heard, I've heard like a version of that, like trigger 
like you just say one word and it's like, oh, no, you know, and then the program switches and you're like, do not engage. They yeah. are bigots. Like, yes. Do not and, speak, you know? yes. And like, it was almost like you, I was sad. I was like sad that my parents didn't understand. Yes. And why did they have to be yeah. so like bigoted and racist? Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. why can't they get mm-hmm. with the picture? It was just like so disheartening to me. Yes. It's like lonely and isolating. Yeah. The, the politics do that. That, yeah, I, 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 there was definitely a strong, it could have been worse, but I, I, I feel so sad that my mom worked so many jobs to keep me in a private school where they were just turning me against her essentially. Mm, like, yeah. you know, my mom, I remember, you know, George, George W. Bush was elected in when I was in third grade mm-hmm. for the first time. And I was mortified that my mom pronounced the letter W, W. Mm. And I would beg her, mommy, please don't say W in front of my, like, I was mortified. I was like, you're, everyone's going to know you're a Republican (laughs) in my life. And And you were in New York City at the time? I grew grew up up in New York. I grew up in Greenwich Village. Okay. Wow. Born and raised. But she was from Texas? She was from Texas and she was the one who like got away, like moved to the big city, Mm. you know, like my mom comes from a huge family, like you know, no, Texas people generally don't leave Texas. Like it's just it's right. such a big state. It's a wonderful place. It's a diverse, you know, like topographically, so you could do a lot of things and still be in the state of Texas. Um, and it's home and, you know, she's got roots there. Um, but yeah, she, she moved to the big city when she was in her early twenties and never left. And so my experience, you know, yeah, was, I think there was a lot of tension that was fueled by the kind of education and and my peer group um, that I was in, you know, up until, you know, through my mid twenties, basically. Um, It never tore us apart, thank God, you know. Um, But yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of tension based on, you know, my bullying of what I thought she should believe and do. Right. Um, my mom never tried to get me to believe anything I mean she tried to instill you know I think I thought a lot about this like my my mom is Catholic my dad is Jewish and I I think having those um having like a a guidebook for morality and in some respects like kept me I think not completely going off the deep end like I find it remarkable out of my peer group that I like never got a tattoo like I don't have a single tattoo I know I feel the same way you don't have a tattoo either no I don't and I was oh my gosh I mean I was the most liberal like I really was I I think that too I'm like it's so interesting that I never did that my parents were like always telling me that was like the worst thing I could do like it was (laughs) it was a constant like drugs will you know drugs are dirty drugs will ruin your life like but not like crazy I mean it was a perfect balance enough to scare me away and like from doing things that I you know would have affected my health for the in a negative sense and then just uh, things that I think I would have just outgrown like you know things that I don't think I would have wanted for the rest of my life you know back to your question about the like when when did I kind of break out of it or how did I change my mind around the trans stuff and I think it was just a culmination of becoming resensitized to women's pain. Mm. That's how I think about it, you know? Mm. And I, 
I think this is a huge, huge problem that we have been so desensitized to, to human suffering, more specifically, I say the suffering of women, the suffering of children. Um, and so it was that building, building, building. I was questioning everything and I'm like, oh shit, okay, there is a legal mass poisoning of children happening. There's a legal mass poisoning just like with the vaccine stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is, that's as dark as it gets for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was that. And then I think, I think learning about what was going on in women's sports just was like the last thing I needed to know to like solidify my belief that this was like totally fucked. Right. Um, I was like, that's insane. And I, I was so naive at the time. I was just like, once everybody knows that men are being allowed to compete in women's sports, like everyone's going to get it. Like all I have right. to do is sit down with my friends and be like, there are men in women's sports and that will be the end of all this tension and controversy. Because like, it surely. should be, it's like, should be so obvious, but then you're like, wow. We really are brainwashed. It's how I felt when I was like, oh, once everyone realizes that they have to get a booster already, they're going to realize. And then, oh it, and then it just got no. worse. No. <laughs> oh, it's disheartening. It was, it can feel, it can certainly feel disheartening, but yeah, it was, it was, it was that. And then, you know, I, I also just learned a lot from starting conversations like the response I learned a lot from the responses that I got when I tried to broach the topic of vaccines or hormonal birth control or violence in industrial birth or you know men and women's sports and it was the reaction to the trans stuff even more like it was a stronger like get out of my life you bigot like than any other than any other topic that I had kind of like dabbled in, a uh, controversial issue that I'd, I had dabbled in or um, been passionate about. Um, but I also think my peer group, my friends, the people I grew up with, my colleagues, like I think I was already on the shit list. And so COVID, like the way I talked about the lockdowns and all of that was probably just like the icing on top. Um, right. And then, yeah, I got I got kicked out of a fertility awareness teacher training program in 2020, which I feel like is significant event, like important to mention. Wow. Um, and was that because of what you were saying in there or because of what you were saying online or? It was because there was a compulsory like inclusivity um, module that we were expected to do and like comply with, not just like go over, but like comply with. Ugh, right. Um, and that was my last like. Uh, yeah, that was my last kind of like experience trying to like pursue a career or like uh, endeavor that wasn't about exposing, like doing everything that I'm doing now. Right. Like, oh, shit. I can't even get this. I can't even make it through a two year program. I can't even make it two months into a two year program wow. because this has it is a full takeover. It is a top down takeover and there is nowhere left to hide like it is is so bad um so that that's I was already peaked like and I was already speaking out about you know the harms of what she was including in the training and like women would shake and cry when I'd give presentations using the word woman and mother I mean it was bad that's so like I just can't even wrap my head around that I mean I think I really think that they think that what I'm doing is killing children 
is killing vulnerable children, is killing vulnerable adolescents and adults. Like, mm-hmm. I really think that they are so wrapped up in their own, like, narcissism, delusion, whatever you want to call it, that they think that my words, that me saying men can never become women and women never can become men actually results in material violence. I know. Like, and that is that is a really important part of like rad, the radical feminist analysis is is talking about the distinction between you know like uh, postmodern like thought experiments and material reality. I feel like that's what that is what I've I noticed since 2020 that made me say okay all right this is too far gone there is no winning in this without me just becoming a liar and living a lie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and being backed into a corner with this psycho psycho audience that is looking to be offended and is, is like almost like craving being able to say that they are oppressed or being oppressed or being whatever, like it there, it's this weird, like upside down social clout of being oppressed, but you're not actually oppressed because you now have all of this social clout that words became violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where it can get convoluted because yeah, there's like making the distinction between material violence, like saying I don't like you versus punching you in the face like there's a there's a distinction Mm -hmm. um and then you know what's happening with with female erasure in language and in the law so like uh it's not that pronouns put men in women's prisons it's the proliferation of the ideology and the Mm -hmm. top down you know that is enforced Mm -hmm. from the top down it's Mm -hmm. not like the more times we use the wrong pronouns, the more like top-down power there is. The top-down power is happening no matter what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not that not that we we can't influence, you know, our, our local communities in the way that we speak, absolutely. And like preserve our just, you know, human dignity and our discernment of, you know, basic human sex to differentiation. But like, you know, when you, when you look at what's going on in the law right now, which is that, you know, uh, our, our sex-based rights have been replaced by, by gender identity. So, you know, they're incompatible. They, they, they're in conflict, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot uh, believe in the, the, in in sex-based rights and also believe in the ideology of gender identity. And, um, so there is there, you know, I, I can just hear the, I can just hear the gender ideologues being like, but you're always saying how we have to use the right language. And you're so obsessed. Why are you so obsessed with how we talk and how we name ourselves? And it's like, yeah, the power to name is the power to defend, is the power Mm. to have legal protection. So like there is, it just is where it it can get really circular and these conversations can just seem like, oh, is it ever going to freaking end before one of us gets a migraine? It's just just insane. (laughs) But yes, the words are violence. That was such a, that is such a programmable like mantra that, that people adopted and that I was a victim of, of, you know, again, not a material victim, but like, you know, I got kicked out of a program. I would say right. that, 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 you know, I did, I was able to get refunded, but that, that mirrors on like, like losing jobs, material, yeah. like losing your home, material, losing opportunities, material, like that, yeah. it, it, these, you know, these, as we know, these, um these political uh ideologies they they have real life 
consequences and words are not violence. Right. Violence is violence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like nothing means what it used to mean anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what, um, I'm curious what you think is happening, um, with the top down, like how, why, like, what do you think is really happening? Like big picture. Do you think that this is, um, like how conspiratorial do you get? Mm -hmm. Um, how I think I've heard you, I think it was you talk about how this ties in with transhumanism. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious what your perspective is on, on all of that, like that angle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I believe that, you know, transgenderism is, is just one tentacle of a much larger monster, which is transhumanism. And so transhumanism is the, you know, what we've been kind of ushered into for, for decades now, when you could actually say, you know, centuries, depending on how far back you want to, you know, interpret, um, we could, we can interpret mythology, you know, as like the beginning of the transhumanist agenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of history when it comes to, um, this fusion of technology and, and, and nature. And so, um, what I think ultimately they want is, is for us to be completely dissociated, you know, for us to be Mr. Mr. And Mrs. Potato heads, Mm. where you can pick apart and choose your adventure, you know, choose your body part, choose your skin color, choose, customize everything um, while, you know, being like lifeless, essentially. Mm. Um, I think it's a depop agenda for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. If you just take, if you just look at hormonal birth control, you know, in the state of women's reproductive health, I mean, that that is just so overtly a depop agenda. I mean, to sterilize women, to render women infertile through um, an onslaught of medications and environmental disturbances. Yeah. Um, I think there's a depop, you know, agenda there. So yeah, I, I see transgender ideology, transgenderism um, as a, you know, a big propaganda campaign for the medical industry. Um, I see it as, you know, the, uh, an attempt to, to, to distort us and to separate us from the land, you know, and if you, if you, if you think about like, I don't know if you're familiar with Monica, um, let's pronounce her last name wrong. I'm going to say shoe. It's S J O O. She wrote a book called, um, the great cosmic mother, which is all about earth worship and, you know, women, women worship and kind of like the relationship that women used to have to each other, to ourselves, uh, and to the earth. And when you take, when you think about like earth verse, earth-based religions and, and practices and ways of living, and you, you think about how far we've, we've strayed from that, um, you know, I would say that's definitely part of the beginning of, of this separation. You could say separation between man and God, you could say separation. Right. You can look between, at it many different ways, interestingly. Yeah but it is definitely separating us from what is natural and, and life good. force. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. The energy of creation. I mean, right. I, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly disturbing, you know, how birth has been intercepted um, by medical technology, by ideological frameworks, by lies, by violence. Um, 
the 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 you know the, there's no reverence uh for that anymore it's yeah. almost completely destroyed and like in my little niche it's like everybody's free birthing but like that's not the world oh, oh no not, i know you know it's like in my world everybody's having a free birth and wild pregnancy but that's just not what what women you know as a sex class are are, are actually experiencing there's one thing i want to say that that relates to the um you mentioned, you know, the shrinking of women becoming smaller and how we're, we're doing that unconsciously in the great cosmic mother in the book, she talks about um, the engineering of women through patriarchy to become smaller. And, and she writes about like from an anthropological uh, perspective that we women as a sex class used to be much larger hmm like that and this is a very like i would never talk about this like in regards to the trans stuff now because it'll get convoluted to be like oh well maybe women should compete against men in men's sports like she's not suggesting that we were like the same but she's suggesting like she talks about like marital um ceremonies where women and men would fight each other oh wow (laughs) like we are not supposed to be this small. And I am a very small, like I'm a hundred pounds, you know, five, one, like I am a very small person. I've thought a lot about this as someone who's also suffered from, you know, uh, you know, eating disorders. So I'm just like, have I, have I been engineered to be this tiny? Right. That's, that's a very interesting because even if you look a hundred years back when we, so many more of us were farmers and we had to work really hard and we, um, had to survive <laughs> like times of, of not having the food abundance that we have now having extra weight on was a benefit. It was a survival benefit. It was a fertility benefit. Um, and you know, we've just totally erased that, right? Like that's, and of course it, there's, there is a natural balance that the body wants, you know, but, uh, It's very interesting. And I, and I genuinely believe that there are naturally tinier people and naturally bigger people. And there are even people who say like, you know, are these like, um, higher weight, like genetic, you know, you've seen families where everyone's a little bigger. Is this a genetic, Mm -hmm. is this like, um, a survival adaptation? Like have Mm. have, their ancestors live through famine and it's to their advantage to pass on genes where they hold on to more weight. Mm. Um, you know, all of that's so, fascinating. And I think there's absolutely something to it. And then also we live in a world where our food is shit and devoid of nutrients. Like this is where I think the, the fat positive movement goes so extreme where they're like, well, how dare you even expect me to eat healthy foods? Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, that's classist. And, um, you know, Mm -hmm. why should I, I don't owe you health and all the stuff where it's like, okay, I kind Mm -hmm. of see your point, but then also like, what are you doing to yourself? And, you know, how far are we going to take? And who benefits? Like, who yeah, benefits exactly. from having, like, everyone be diabetic? Like, who benefits exactly. from the pacemakers? Who benefits from the fertility drugs? Like, not not the people. Nobody, no. It's just all the industry. It's all industry. It's, it's so weird. In- it's so weird because, like, I, so I came at the intuitive eating perspective from a very, very holistic lens, right? I was like, wow, this is about trusting your body. This is about, you know... I was really holistic. I, you know, I was my secret, I was a secret anti-vaxxer. I like, you know, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was in high school and I did all the mm-hmm. drugs for a couple of years. And it was just so clear, like, oh, this is so just hard. masking symptoms. This is not healing yeah. anything. So I just went super, super holistic. I'm not healed. I'm like, you know, I'm just, 
kind of like managing, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, there was this overlap with the other intuitive eating authors, influencers, um, dietitians, therapists, but weirdly it was like, their angle was sort of like, oh, well all, um, you know, all health diets and all of that stuff, that's all orthorexic and we don't need any of that. So it's like, I was super orthorexic and like obsessed mm-hmm. with like perfect clean food, which is not mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. healthy and isn't like physically healthy either, just from like a nervous system perspective. But there was then this like shunning of anything that could be considered even the teeniest bit orthorexic. And I was like, well, I don't think I agree with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then there was this like hard line in 2020, which was, it was almost like the pharma intuitive eating people and the holistic intuitive eating people. And all of the big like peers are all pharma and they all went so hard on the vaccine so hard. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't make any sense. Like you're super critical of the CDC and the FDA and big pharma when it comes to them like creating this kind of like society where we don't trust our own appetite and we like Mm. rely on their quick fixes and their drugs and everything, even like diet drugs, but you believe them with everything else. You know, I think it is weird. I I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think like one thing that I've practiced over the past few years is, um, you know, like I'll take my harshest criticism and apply it to myself. Mm-hmm. Not not to be like self-loathing, but just to be like, okay, no. they're sheep. Okay, well, how am I a sheep? I know. <laughs> how, okay, and I can find ways, you know? Like I like to online shop. I buy things I don't need sometimes. I, you know, like I yeah. am, what even is my taste? Do we, do we I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just consuming, you know? So, you know, I, I can, I totally hear you. And like, I can find those contradictions within myself. I think, I think we all can, um, as consistent. And I think, you know, I, I, I totally admire and I, and I feel it in myself, like trying to be that, that purity of like, of, um, of consistency, like, of, right. in like I'm not a like hypocrite. I, I'm totally consistent, but yeah, I love Amazon. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. Amazon. It's so I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. I was like, I, before the lockdowns, I was like in my, I can do it. I can separate myself from Amazon. And then the lockdowns happened and it was like trendy to be like, I'm not shopping Amazon. And like, I literally don't hear or read about anyone anymore protesting Amazon. Like oh. everyone just gave up. I know. We, we, so we were forced right. to. I know when we were forced. And that's the thing. It's like, Oh, I can see the ways that I'm kind of being pushed in some of the directions that I'm going down. I mean, I am a total phone addict. I mean, like mm. it's like it's a hard one. It's yeah. so hard. Um, you're so right. Like I can see it all in me. I really can. No, we're deep. We're like really deep in it. We're <laughs> like really deep in it. But I will say to learn more about the the kind of like the bigger picture and like the top-down takeover that, that I like that we were talking about I would encourage anyone listening to look up um Kay Yang's work she's a she's a former trans rights activist mm. now LGBT whistleblower she's a collaborator of mine we have courses together available on my website and she has done extensive more research than I 
you know, if anyone out there, if mm. you know someone who's done more research on the UN and and the gender identity um, wow. stuff, please please send my way. But she, yeah, her website is stopfemaleerasure.com and and she has done incredible um, research and exposés on the the UN's role in implementing transgender ideology and female erasure on a global scale. Wow. Um, okay. That I saw yeah. her, I followed her, I think through you when you were doing those stories, um, and those posts at, um, at pride in New York, I think yes. is where you were. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I haven't gone down her rabbit hole, but I, I intend to, so this is a good reminder. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 the words she was using, I was like, whoa, she's really, she's going for it. She's talking about transhumanism. She's talking about Mm -hmm. being a big conspiracy, which I think, you know, I've outed myself as a conspiracy. I became a conspiracy theorist in 2020. And I just like, I just accept the label now. Cause I'm like, yeah, I mean, I am. Mm -hmm. That's what people are going to call me anyway. So I'll tell you that I am. Um, I try to be discerning, but there's too much evidence for some of these. Um, just like, just like this one, the, all the UN stuff, all the globalization stuff. Yeah. It's not hidden. It's Mm -mm. like, it's in our face. I mean, it's absolutely like the, the biggest, like there are self-admitted and like self-proclaimed transhumanists, like Martine Rothblatt, who is a man who, you know, pretends to be a, a woman, calls himself a trans woman. He wrote a book called from transgender to transhuman. Wow. Yeah. Like he's, he wants to abolish. He thinks he has, it's insanely arrogant and in, like actually delusional to think that you can abolish sex. Like he, he, scary. Thinks, he thinks of sex as like an apartheid, like oh that it needs to be, it needs to be destroyed and that it's like the gateway to our like ultimate liberation. But what he actually means is just like expands his industry of giving us like prosthetic shit. Oh, I know. So these people are blatant about it. Yeah, it's, 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 um, I know it's like all the, the world economic forum stuff. I'm like, you can yes. go see exactly what they are trying to create. And I can see how, from my perspective before it was like, Oh, what's wrong with globalism? It's Should all about all equity together. Yeah. Global this is, equity. Yeah. This is kindness. And this is like utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so mm-hmm. sinister when I, realize that's what I, I bought it. I bought it all. And I think the interesting thing about all the trans youth stuff is, you know, I also bought the, you know, the line that it's all about just accept, accepting people as they are the, the ideology, right? I believe this, the ideology that we are gendered souls being oh born into a body and it might not match. I was like, sure, sure, sure. Why, why not? Mm. And it really took me, it was seeing the ideology being pushed with the pronouns and this and that, but it was really listening to whistleblowers and to, um, like detrans, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like teenagers, those stories, they are so powerful. Yeah. And to really hear from the perspective of, I, I was deeply unhappy. I was deeply uncomfortable in my body. You know, I, I believed, I believed my therapist and I believed my doctors that this was going to give me relief and mm-hmm. there was no informed consent. And no. for some of them, it did give me some relief for a little while. I thought 
you know, oh, this is it. But, and only when I get to this next place, you know, this next, you know, my next surgery, then I'm really, really going to feel like myself. And it just never happened. And it's just, I think those are the the kinds of stories that can really wake you up and, and allow you to see what is really going on. hundred percent. 100%. And it, you know, we, we don't always know, like, I just try to remind myself and when I get frustrated or, you know, anyone who's kind of feeling the same frustration is is like, you never know how the conversation or a podcast episode or a post is going to land. Initially, you don't know, you know, it might not click. They might not, you know, even think twice about it for a year. Like we have absolutely, you know, like our, our role, I feel like as um, women who want to raise consciousness about these issues is to just keep creating, you know, like staying in our business and just take, keep create, like just to just keep creating um, and offering and, and just trusting that those who, who find it, you know, will find it at the right time. And, and I've just seen this over and over, like women just like take off, like, you know, it felt like pulling teeth to get, anyone to like post anything about this like three years ago and I'm I'm still considered like a newbie you know I've been I've been mm-hmm. talking about you know the transition for publicly consistently for three years four years actually but like Mary Lou my mentor she's been on this for you know over a decade and you take a woman like Janice Raymond she wrote a book called the transsexual empire I mean she was like in the 70s she's like yeah. think it through think it through, think it all the way through. Like you're, we're going to have men in women's bathrooms and people are like, no, no, I know. know? It's so, so it's like, you never know when, you know, the information, whether it's a D-trans story, I have a D-trans playlist. I've spoken to lots of women and coach those women. And I have a playlist on YouTube for anyone who wants to just listen to the stories of, of young women who have come out of, of the cult and they're, yeah, their stories are everywhere now, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, it, it really, really is. And I feel like that is a big, those are big wake up calls to hear those stories. The other crazy thing is I, because I came from the kind of eating disorder recovery world, mm-hmm. like generally I ha- am friends with a handful of therapists who are genuinely terrified to sp- Some are not, but some are too afraid to speak out. One has Mm. been canceled for like false accusations and is literally working through PTSD wants to speak out about the stuff, but it just isn't ready yet. But they're like, Caroline, there is so much overlap. If not, it is the same root issue between body dysphoria, gender dysphoria and body. What's the other word that I'm blanking? Uh, Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. Yeah. Mm. They're like, there's a huge overlap in disordered eating and eating disorders and trans youth. And there's apparently a joke, a joke in the eating disorder world where they say, Oh, you know, a a kid will come in for eating disorder and come out trans because they're being, they're being like radicalized by their radicalized therapists who believe that like mm -hmm. every, like the root issue of all trauma now, which makes no sense. It's really like the other way around, but the root issue of all of this, you know, pain is because you're in the wrong body and you just don't know it yet. 
Mm-hmm. And really what it is, is a deep discomfort in their body that will manifest either as gender dysphoria or body dysmorphia or body dysphoria mm-hmm. or both. Mm-hmm. And you would never tell someone with anorexia, oh, well, if you go get some liposuction and take that last little fat off, you know, you'll feel right. better. Right. You work on the actual pain. So, I mean, kids are being like, le- like massively led astray and it's horrible. Yeah. And you I know. think <laughs> I told, I, I agree with you. And I, I, you know, I, I don't use the term gender dysphoria anymore because for me, it's more, it entrenches the, the idea that it's like a, it's a body problem. Like it's psyche, like it's a, it's a, it's a them problem you know, like, oh, they're not trans. They just have another diagnosis that we can like Mm. pathologize called Mm -hmm. gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. It's like, what about just like talking about like misogyny or like Mm. sexual violence? Like, I think we get a lot further and like help these people, these children, like we are the same people. Like I, you and I are not different from the woman, the young woman who has been diagnosed as having gender dysphoria. Like that is a healthy response to- rejecting something bad in her life whether it's ideological whether it's sexual trauma whether it's um you know the 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 kind of the 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 media you know the like the uh the um the onslaught of just like devices that these kids are growing up in you know like wanting to escape and the other really interesting thing is i have a friend who, um, she had her own awakening in 2020. She said, Oh, I had gender dysphoria when I had tons of brain inflammation. When my Lyme was really acting up, I would develop gender dysphoria and I would come out of it when I, when my body would be and my brain would be in a less inflamed state. It was a total disconnection of Mm. like spirit and body. And yeah, and that is a whole other, you know, she like went from like being super pro-vax to super anti-vax. That's a whole other angle of like, how is this also kind of like overlapping with chronic health stuff and brain inflammation and all this other stuff that kids are experiencing? Um, yeah. It, you it might like her. comes up against the like born this way narrative, which I yeah. think is what she's kind of pushing exactly. up against, whether you're talking about sexuality or you know, the trans identity stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting and very, very taboo. Mm-hmm. Well, I have kept you far longer than I expected to, but thank you so, so much for talking to me for the song. Um, will you let everyone know where they can find you and follow and learn more? Yes. Well, first of all, I so enjoyed, I so enjoyed this conversation I loved learning more about you and your story too. Um, and all the, the overlap um there and proud of you for surviving hundreds of thousands of potentially of people um sending you crazy messages calling you a racist and that's that's awesome yeah it was great good times oh my gosh you got through it um so you can find me at whosebodyisit.com i am active on instagram at whosebodyisit and uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode, um, my upcoming masterclass series, I'm hosting uh, a big fertility whistleblower named Jennifer Law, and she's going to be talking about the medical and legal ethics of IVF, ART, 
surrogacy and that's a three-week series if you can't join us live all good it's all going to be recorded you can take it at your own pace um but yeah we're just we're just trying to hit all the tentacles of the of the medical industrial complex amazing um so that's coming up july 20th but yeah you can find all that info on uh whose body is it.com yes and i will link to both your website and um your instagram 